episode 29, Cutoffs and Coffee, James and CT, your hosts. As always, today on episode 29, we have Daniel Bach, Jump Science on Instagram and YouTube. We take a deep dive into jumping and the science of jumping, obviously, but we also talk a ton about what's important about developing the athlete outside of the weight room. And this was probably my favorite part about the conversation is as much as Daniel Bach loves jumping, loves the science of jumping. It is in his name on social media tags. He also talks about developing the athlete outside of the weight room, um, developing the athlete in, and their relationships that you have with their coach and the relationship they have with skill development. And it was such an awesome conversation. This is great for parents and athletes alike. Anybody interested in not only jumping, but developing themselves as athletes. And this episode is brought to you by Cutoffs and Coffee Gear. We're presenting the Cutoffs and Coffee hat today. You've probably seen us lunging in it recently. Also, if you're bald and need to protect your head from the sun, it is the perfect cover. We have two options, limited release camo, right? And then the traditional all black hat. So if you need a hat to cover up your bald head, maybe you're having a bad hair day, right? Maybe you just need to get the sweat off your brow from doing all those lunges. Grab a cut off some coffee, snapback hat, hit up Coach CT and his DMs on Instagram, the real CT, to find your cut off some coffee gear. And if you're enjoying the Cutoffs and Coffee podcast, now 28 episodes through, Daniel Bach coming on for 29, feel free to support us by subscribing to the YouTube channel. Follow us on our own individual social medias where we like to tease out the coaches and the guests that we're going to have on. So if you want to ask any questions to these guests or to us for the podcast, you can ask us on our individual social medias. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and then continue to reach out to us and let us know who you want to hear. So five stars, subscribe, let us know who you want to hear, who you want to talk to. Let us know if you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, continue listening. We appreciate everybody's support. So without further ado, episode 29, enjoy it with Coach Daniel Bach. Coach Daniel Bach, cutoffs and coffee. Welcome, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Looking forward to getting into some stuff here. We appreciate that. Hey, Coach did not have cutoff on he saw us he saw the pipes he saw his shoulders he said hold on a second let me go get my, get, get my best cutoff so if you're watching the youtube video you'll be able to see coach daniel bach with his cutoff on coach you put out a, a lot of <laughs> well that's uh that's one thing you know maybe round two maybe we'll bring you on later later round two and then we'll we'll do it post pump that would be uh yeah there we go situation <laughs> and then we how many subscribers would we get from that Jeez, daniel bach james <laughs> CT with a pump come oh, on yeah. um Hey, man, let's start off here. You put out a ton of awesome content on YouTube, ton of awesome content on, on social media. And if, if you search Daniel Bach, you search Jump Science, you get a lot of information. So obviously, you're putting yourself out there for people to learn a lot about you. Um, we'd like to know as listeners and as hosts something that is good to know about you that we can't find from just a Google or an Instagram search. Uh, I guess uh probably go the comedic route here. Um my senior year of high school during basketball season, my close friends uh, decided to give me a, hopefully it was sarcastic, a sarcastic nickname called, I was the mattress because I was so soft on the court. Oh no. 
And they tried to actually bring a mattress to a game and bring it into the stands, but uh, it was not allowed. Yeah. Oh, if you don't no. have friends like that, you need to go out and get you some. That is awesome. Yeah, right? <laughs> they, you got, they got to keep you humble, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Daniel Buck, a.k.a. the mattress, couldn't fit a king size into the, to the gym doors, I guess, huh? <laughs> not so much. Well, dude, what was it? What was the skill set that, that you were lacking? Was it just like size and strength and you were just getting pushed around down there on the block? No, so you no, decided I mean, to learn it, how to jump over all of them? It, it was it was more or less the opposite. I mean, I thrived in the paint. I was a physical player. It was, it was uh, yeah, even as, I mean, I was 6'3", so I was definitely facing some larger guys, but uh, I was quicker and could outjump them, and I didn't give any ground to anybody on defense. So, no, I, I was not a soft player. <laughs> Boom. Here we go. Hey man, tell us, um, from and back us up from the, you know, pre mattress days, um, talk us through your story. Tell us, you know, what happened, uh, tell us about your, your playing career and tell us when you got into coaching and basically like wrap us up where you are, where you are now and what you're doing now. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I did a, did a variety of sports as a kid, uh, mostly not organized, but like, you know, solid neighborhood sports, um, you know, like tackle football, no pads kind of thing, like, you know, the game 500, all that stuff, um, biking, rollerblading, all these things. I don't mean to interrupt you. What I've never heard it put that way. Just classic neighborhood sports. Oh, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because you said 500. Uh, oh, man, pickle, all those pickle between two trees. Yes, like, dude. Thanks for bringing the flag. The cul-de-sac crew. <laughs> it, if you don't know these, if you don't know these games, you're too young to be listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, coach. Sorry. I won't, I won't <laughs> interrupt you anymore. Um, so, but so by the time I was 12, I was pretty obsessed with basketball and uh, just playing a lot in the alley and stuff like that. And then just, you know, I had my little middle school season every year or whatever. Um, when I was 13, you know, as part of my obsession with basketball, I wanted to jump higher. And I had an older brother and, you know, he was like grabbing the rim or whatever. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And uh, I started uh, dunking on a low rim in the, in the driveway. And then I got access to some, you know, some old school weights that I had in my basement. So, you know, like the little one inch thick uh, bar and the, the cement plates um and the little you know the clip you have to crank on and off like the, you know that that style of weights and uh, I started doing squats and calf raises in my basement and uh and that was that was a five days per week routine for me the the lifting and then you know whatever jumping and basketball I was doing and I started seeing some really fast results in my vertical and so I got hooked on it kept rolling with it and you know by the, by the time I was 14 I I dunked and I had added probably a foot to my vertical within a year so it's pretty dramatic and uh and so that was obviously you know at that time I was like well I'm gonna just be a, have a six foot vertical in a few years you know um <laughs> it's, it's a real simple process uh-huh uh, you know, obviously found out it wasn't that simple. Um, but I got kind of hooked on that training process then. And I continued to try to explore how to jump higher, um, in the years following that. And by the time I was 15 or yeah, yeah, 
late 15, 16, uh, you know, I was touching the top of the box on the backboard. I had explored kind of the plyometric realm. Um, yeah, I think I had a, a, a very different routine by the time I was 15. I remember instead of five days per week, I was doing two days per week. And it was still squats and calf raises, but now I was jumping with a bar on my back. I was jumping up the stairs in my house and then like sprinting down them and doing it again. Um, still obviously, you know, getting on a hoop and dunking stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, so I had another stretch where I gained like, like maybe six inches on my vertical, uh, within a couple months when I was 15, um, in conjunction with a growth spurt, of course. And, uh, so yeah, when I was 15, I already like wanted to be a trainer because I had been through this experience and, you know, I thought it was so cool the way you can like change your body doing this. And, uh, so I already kind of had a career path in mind at that, at that age. Um, as far as, you know, the basketball career. So I had, honestly, until my senior year, I wasn't a, a special player at all. I ended up being a, I was an all-conference player in my senior year. Um, but not a lot of, you know, efforts to get exposure or, you know, pursue college really. Um, I, you know, there was like one school nearby, uh, Carroll College is near, near Milwaukee, Milwaukee's where I grew up, um, that like actually recruited me, wanted me to come play for him, but it was like not nearly good enough of a school academically for me to, you know, <laughs> like uh, make that sacrifice in exchange for being able to play mm -hmm. basketball. Um, I actually went to Baylor for one semester. And uh, so, yeah, I came down to Texas back then. And had a great experience, but between money and then I, actually, you know, I had decided I wanted to play basketball again. Um, ended up going back to Wisconsin and walked on, on a, at a D3 school there. And it was also a school that had a really good exercise science department, so that worked out. Um, the funny thing from Baylor, actually, so there at the rec, I got the nickname the Terminator. So very different than the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> polar, polar opposites there. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so I played, I ended up playing one year D3 ball at UW lacrosse. And then, and, uh, before my second year is I was broke, I had to pay rent. So I just, you know, it's like, coach, I got to get a job. I'm sorry. Um, but then I got back into jump training at that point. So I started training myself again. Um, and then shortly after started working with some, uh, like a couple friends, and then, you know, there were some results. So then some other people got interested. I ended up with like a little jump training squad on campus. And that's really where, that's when I started posting YouTube videos, started, uh, you know, interacting with people online. They were asking me questions and I obviously was not that uh, knowledgeable at the time, but you know, I could, I could help some people out. Um, yeah. And, you know, made a little blog, started posting articles, stuff like that. And so that was kind of the origins of, uh, of jump science was, was that, um, and then, so yeah, I finished college, got my exercise science degree, continued to train people through, yeah, the last four or five years of that. I, I mean, I spent six and a half years getting my undergrad degree. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, yeah, I ended up working with like a local high school basketball player, uh, working with some track athletes at the school at, uh, at UW lacrosse. Um, at one point, the basketball coach had me run the preseason conditioning for the basketball team. 
And this was, you know, I was still an undergrad student. So it's kind of, kind of a unique situation there. Yeah. It was, and that was the same, that was the same team you played for. Yes. Yes. But are no longer. So okay. it, was, it was my former coach, but then he like knew I was doing this jump training thing. He's like, Hey, do you want to come help out with the, you know, fall conditioning for the team? Um, so yeah, I kind of had a variety of experiences there. There was a, a basketball skills trainer in La Crosse, Wisconsin that I hooked up with and did some work with. Um, so yeah, I did some things, kind of some random things uh, in that department. But I mean, I finished college and I didn't have much of a plan. Um, I still, you know, I had the, the online stuff kind of slowly growing into something. But uh, yeah, I didn't really have anywhere to go. So I ended up spending a year back in Milwaukee before uh, somebody was actually on my website down here in Texas. And uh, he used some information for his son and then it helped him out. So then he emailed me, we started talking and then uh, he ended up saying, you should come check out this place called Acceleration down here. So came down, met the owner and a few weeks later he offered me uh, some work. So that's why I moved down to Austin, Texas that was in uh, June 2014, so I've been here since then, seven and a half years now. And uh, so the place here is speed training focused. It's called Acceleration, and uh, or speed training is what what we're known for. It's obviously you know we train all athletes, and you know the like volleyball and basketball athletes tend to come to me uh, be, because of my jump training background. But uh, yeah, acceleration has given me the chance to really, ex really explore and get good in the speed department as well, and and learn a lot of things in that department, um, and then and and get get to work with some more track athletes, which is now actually my preference um, because you know track is it's committed to just getting more athletic. That's the sport. You know, there are skills involved still, but it's like people are just trying to run fast and jump high. And, you know, they'll, they'll spend an entire year doing whatever they need to do to make that happen. It's a lot different than, you know, basketball players who have three hours of skill work they want to do every day. Or, you know, even, you know, football obviously is a good physical development sport, but it's conditioning, it's team stuff. It's we got to gain 30 pounds, you know, all, all these other things going on. So yeah, I really like to train track because it's dedicated to speed and athleticism. And um, I think with, with track yeah. and field, you also have that predictability of when your events are. Um, yes. So, you know, in football season, um, you know, you got to be ready every week. In track right. and field, you have certain events that you want to either qualify for other events for. So it's a more singular um, focus in terms of when you want to be at your best. Yeah, it's all it's all a process building up to those key meets. Yep. What's your uh, what's your setup at, at, at your facility in terms? Are you seeing one on one clients? Are you seeing small groups, large groups? A little it's bit all, of all one on one. Okay, all one on awesome. one. Yep. We had we used to have a little bit of a small group for track because um, they didn't have a track class period at school, so they would come uh, for fourth period. Uh, the, at the, yeah, the local school, Lake Travis, they would come um, to us for like their fourth period, basically. And, uh, but then they eventually got a track period at school. So that went away. So yeah, it's all, all one-on-one. -on -one. 
so you know you you have uh, a lot of a lot of playing experience in your sport you started coaching kids pretty much while you were still playing coaching peers when you were in college um and then you also had a good experience with yourself being able to dunk at 14 um you know i'm 32 now i'm still working on that not gonna <laughs> not gonna happen anytime soon but um you know as as you're going through that process did you have any moments you know especially studying exercise science plus you had that you know iron education training yourself for a while did you have any paradigm shifting moments that kind of made you think differently about how you train or how you coach the athletes that you're in front of today? So, yeah, I don't know about a, about a paradigm shift more, more like a kind of gradual understanding that, you know, at one point was kind of like a light bulb understanding. Um, I er, early on in, in my experience, I did, come across the benefit of resting. And I recall even, I think I, I want to say like age 15, there was some times where I, I had, a, I had gotten back onto my five days per week lifting uh, routine. And, but I had like a vacation coming up. So I just doubled my routine for a week, knowing that I was going to have to take a week off. And so, you know, at age 15, I was already like running experiments like that, which, you know, which is just kind of odd. But um, yeah, so I had some of these experiences also, you know, after basketball season would end, I would just like take a week off. And then I would always jump really well following that. Um, and then when I started training people early in college, I had, yeah, some of those same experiences, like, you know, somebody works out for a while and then they stop for whatever reason. And then like a couple weeks later, they're like better than they were before. Um, I had my one friend, Chris, who we, uh, <laughs> we would lift pretty hard, like starting week one. And, uh, he, he had some really good results, like in his first six weeks. Cause I mean, he had never lifted weights before it you know, it was bound to happen, but then he would, he, he kind of leveled off and then he went home for Christmas break. And then, you know, somewhere along the line during Christmas break, he just like his vertical shoots up. And then we, we you know, comes back in, in January, we go again and, and again, like started out pretty hard week one. And, uh, and he didn't really gain a lot while we lifted which is, I mean, I guess, yeah, one of the shifts is just like, oh, we should actually lift a lot easier. Well, that was one of the, one of the shifts. Um, but then, so he lifted a whole semester hard and didn't perform poorly, but also didn't really get better at jumping. And then goes back to, uh, to Milwaukee for the summer. He's just like playing basketball a few times a week. And then at some point, you know, one day he shows up to the, the court and he just like jumping three inches higher. You know, so I, I kind of had this, this idea, like, we, we need some rest at some point. Um, I didn't understand it. Then at some point, yeah, later in college, I came across Verkashansky's material and his super compensation curve. And I read a story about him doing you know, doing research with strength training with track athletes and he was training them hard and he actually made all their performance drop. And then, and it was, this was for a study. And then one of them uh, was 
yeah, I guess I don't know how many were female. One of them got pregnant, dropped out of the study, but he kept monitoring her performance. And like weeks after she had dropped out of the study, her performance shot up. And so then he, he just did that with the rest of the subjects and all their performance shot up. And then, you know, this was like one of his big career moments. So I was like, oh, so someone's, someone's done this before. You know, I hadn't heard about it in my strength and conditioning education at all, but someone's done this before. Um, so yeah, basically understanding that, that rest concept uh, of, you know, train hard, but then you need a certain amount of compensation, uh, uh, training easy for a little bit. And, you know, I, over the years, I've come to understand it more. Um, you know, I think there's, I think at, at that time, the main, the main mechanism at play was fatigue and recovery. Um, and now I've come to understand, okay, there's fatigue and recovery. There's also, but there's also, you know, negative adaptations to some training that maybe you need to get to fade away. Right. So if we deep squat every week for four months, it's good for us in a sense, because it makes us generally stronger, but there's also some piece of that that is probably negative for, let's say maximum velocity sprinting. And so it's not just a matter of resting, then it's also a matter of, well, let's shift our training to be, you know, someone say more specific. Um, but yeah, just to be more focused on the athletic end of the spectrum. And then we get, you know, it's not just fatigue and recovery. It's actually, we're shifting our adaptations to be uh, more targeted for our performance. So yeah, I would say that that's kind of like the big, the big topic that sort of just kind of gradually been enlightened on over time. Yeah, that's the one that comes to mind. You made a lot of really good and interesting points there. And I think if you're listening to this and, and just like us three, we've all probably overtrained and done too much at times. So it's hard for us to kind of look back and say less. Um, but that's when I was watching a lot of your stuff, I was really learning a lot about kind of that, like accumulated fatigue, changing specificity of training. How are you able to take your athletes, right? Like we already, we mentioned basketball players, right? Who are working they're They're on the court three, four hours a day. Then they come in and do a strength session. Then they want to come in and do a jump session. And they're never really able to make progress on any of them. How are you able to kind of take this idea of fatigue and rest and put that in, into either their training programs or the conversations that you have them have with them on a, on a daily basis. What do those conversations kind of look like? Yeah. So it's definitely, as far as the, you know, the people I work with in person, it definitely is about the conversations um, because I don't get to program with them. You know, they, they do too much other stuff. And they're not, they're not coming to see me multiple times per week, generally. Um, so it's, it really is about that, the, yeah, the, the talking to them and trying to get them to understand, hey, if you have practice Monday through Friday, practice or a game Monday through Friday, if you take Saturday, Sunday off, it's a good thing. <laughs> you know, like you don't, you don't have to go play hours of pickup on Saturday. You actually feel better in practice on Monday and be more athletic if you don't do that. Um, 
Yeah. So in, in definitely in the, the basketball context, I'm not trying to implement some long-term super compensation plan. You know, it's not, it's not possible. It's more, okay, here, you know, we need to, usually with basketball, it's, we, we need to get stronger, um, get stronger relative to body weight. We need to build up some structure so that, you know, these things don't hurt anymore. And along the way, we're just going to try to, you know, get rest when we can. And, and that's about as far as it probably goes with basketball. I, I don't know if I've ever had a basketball player who was like, you know what, man, you've been lifting too hard, too much for too long, and you need to get away from it. <laughs> right, right, right. That is not the basketball issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it is just about, okay, having the, the, every time I see him, there's the check-in, okay, have you eaten enough today? Did you eat enough yesterday? What's that been going like lately? Um, what have you had to do at school? Have you done any workouts outside of that? Um, okay, so this is what we're going to do today. You know, I think there's a little room for us to get this work in. And then can you get, can you get tomorrow off? You know, if it's tomorrow's Sunday, can we just like chill for a day? Um, yeah, so it's kind of that just every time you see them checking in on those things, trying to encourage them to, to not overwork themselves and to instead overfeed themselves. And, uh, and yeah, so it's just trying to encourage that behavior modification, but it's not a, it's not an advanced programming thing by any means when it comes to really most of the athletes I work with in person, uh, cause they're all doing a lot of other stuff and they're not necessarily gonna, um, yeah, they're not, they're not on a committed three times a week seeing me type of schedule. So it's, it's, yeah, it's less about programming and more about, building that relationship and trying to get them to, you know, just understand some things that can help them. That would have been James, maybe a better name for the podcast. Cut off the coffee is sweet, but if it was, it's less about programming and more about the relationships. I think that's the <laughs> point that we're really trying to push with all these conversations we have. So I, I very much appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, um, cool. I want to hear, I want to hear what a day looks like. Uh, in Daniel Box life from, you know, what you do personally, then also your training. Um, you, you put out some really cool content with a friend of the show, Tim Riley. So shout out to Tim. Um, he's the one who first, you know, mentioned your stuff and, and wanted to connect us. And um, you guys have both put out on your social medias, basically like training days with each other. And I, I think that's, um, mm -hmm. I think that's awesome when coaches are able to get together, feed off each other, push each other, something, something that he and I do do a ton. Um, what does a day in the life look like for you? Um, and then also for kind of an athlete who comes in and sees you um, over there at Acceleration. So for me, um, yeah, I mean, I have, I, I work with the kids like in the after school hours. So normally mornings, mornings to, you know, mid afternoon is pretty free. Um, so, I mean, I can, I can work out a lot. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I got the hours. Um, so I tend to, yeah, I mean, on a given day, I'm, I'm hoping to be jumping or, or running in some form. Um, you know, so I just turned 34, but I'm still trying to cling to the, you know, let's be 
fast and light and explosive. Like, uh, you know, I want to keep that around. Um, so yeah, running or jumping in some form, plyometrics, like it's all on the table. Yesterday I randomly did a little parkour challenge, you know, I <laughs> was running up a, there's two, two walls of granite rocks and I was like trying to run off the one onto the other. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very, it was very not smooth, not a practiced uh, movement for me by any, by any means. But yeah, so something like that. And then, uh, and then just general strength training, um, squatting, deadlifting, lunging, pistol squatting, um, a little bit of pushing and pulling in the upper body. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, do something athletic and then try to get strong. Those are, those are my, my, uh, usual approaches. Um, then the kids I train, you know, that varies a lot based on what they have going on, but, uh, really I'm, I'm trying to hit the same categories, right? It's like, let's do athletic things and let's get stronger. Um, it just, you know, in some cases they might be so trashed from what they've had to do already, uh, that, that, that modifies things a lot where it's like, all right, so we, a little bit of like easy plyometrics, maybe we're doing a five yard sprint, looking at some, some, uh, mechanical things in the start, or maybe we're just getting in a few like 10 yard resisted reps something like that if you know if they've already run a whole bunch that week um and then some of them some of them lift you know twice a day uh like football off season you know that you'll get guys that lift in the morning and after school five days a week and uh so then lifting's not a focus but maybe okay well they missed lower leg training so we're gonna do that uh they actually yeah, you know, they squatted, benched, cleaned, but they did nothing for their hamstrings. Okay, so we'll do some of that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to fill in those little gaps that they're missing. Um, then there, there is the case of, I guess, you know, track is the most common one where, oh, they actually haven't, actually, they haven't done much outside of here. Um, we're start, sort of starting with a blank slate. So now, okay, well, let's, warm up do yeah you know maybe put a little jumps into the warm up we'll get the juices flowing but now we're going to the track we're trying to run 60s you know we're trying to we're trying to sprint fast today and get some work in um and and then we're trying to go to the weight room and we're starting from you know we're starting from scratch so it's like we got to hit the squat we got to hit the deadlift um and then try to build up structure so calves adductors hip flexors um all you know all these things core work and so then it's more of a comprehensive comprehensive workout uh where yeah we're hitting we're trying to you know move the big rocks so to speak and uh yeah so in that case i tend to try to schedule extra time <laughs> for those people because they you know they actually need more work and then, uh, yeah, some of the other ones, it's like, we don't even need our 60 minutes, man. Honestly, uh, <laughs> the amount of stuff you've done already, uh, you might actually, you know, if we could just go up the road, get you some barbecue, that might be a good spend, <laughs> you know, a good usage of our time here. 
Um, so yeah, it varies a lot depend depending on what the athlete's going through at the time, all the all the demands that they have on them. But yeah, basically just trying to fill in the gaps for them athletically as well as strength-wise. Dude, what a good point. Because um, I've said that before, you know, like, oh, I'm tired. Well, you would actually have a better, you would have a better outcome if you went and napped for 60 minutes than if you came in here and, and trained. And, yeah. um, you know, every every coach thinks they got the, the perfect six-week, whatever, undulating program to peak until you get an athlete who comes in and is like, yo, I was just playing pick up basketball for three hours after school and I'm trash. Yeah. And then you got to figure out what the heck to do to be able to give, to, to give kids benefit from coming in. Cause people are paying for your services, you know? So you yeah. can't just keep drilling them into the ground and you got to listen to them and you got to have those conversations. And that's so awesome that, that you bring that up. Um, I want to get a little more into the, into the jump science stuff. Um, we know a little bit about you, um, a, a lot of people know your content, um, on social media. And, and if you don't jump science on, on, uh, Instagram, jump science on YouTube, a lot of really good stuff. I, I mean, I think I watched videos from maybe eight, 10 years ago that you put on YouTube yeah. that were, that were super popular. So that's, that's really cool, Ben. You've been doing it at a high level for a long time. Um, tell us about jump science and, and tell us about the, the principles of jump science and, and kind of why you, um, you know, you, you talked about the creation of it, but why this is such a, such a big part of part of your life here. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the origins, like I said, we're just starting to post things online. Um, the name didn't come for a few years. Um, and I don't remember, like, as far as I remember, it just popped into my head one day. I mean, it wasn't like I put a whole lot of thought into it, but uh, it, it really works because it's like it's science based approach to jump training um, or, or like uh, like a thinking man's approach to jump training. You know, it's not it's not hype. It's not do cool looking exercises to get likes on Instagram, you know, it's, it's like the, the polar opposite of that, actually. It's like, no, we're actually going to do the most boring thing because that's what you need. Um, so yeah, principles, I, I would say, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about, but some of the big ones would be, so one specificity, but it's what I would call enlightened specificity where it's okay. Specificity means whatever you're training for, you need to do it. You need to practice it a lot. You need to build up a background of doing it. Um, and, and understand that that itself is training and that develops physical qualities. You know, it's not just, it's not just skill. Like if you go and you, and you have a dunk session and you dunk 30, 40 times, even if it's on a low rim, let's say you're a beginner, it's a low rim. Like you're training explosiveness, you're training coordination, you're training uh, balance, you're training elasticity, all these, um, you know, all these words that we need. It's like, or yeah, these terms that we use for, for physical qualities we need, you develop that by dunking, right? Or by sprinting, you know, like that is training. So if you're a, if you're a sprinter, you know, and people talk about short contact times and you need to you know, we need to make your contact time shorter as you get, as you get faster, right? You don't have to search for an exercise to do that. Sprinting is that exercise, right? And even if you're a jumper and, and sprinting is a complimentary thing for you, 
um, sprinting is that exercise for short contact time. You know, you don't have to come up with some creative thing in order to train yourself to get off the ground fast. Sprinting is the thing. Um, so that's one principle. <laughs> uh, and then, the, so the other principle would be, or the, the other one that I have in my head here is like, is outside of that activity, outside of your sport, um, your training should not be specific because the whole, the whole point is you're trying to get something that's different than your sport. And so that's where, you know, you have to understand the general versus specific quality uh, or nature of like the different physical qualities. So for example, skill is not a general quality. Um, if I need to learn, let's just say, you know, basketball defensive skill, um, I don't go snowboard because it's like a similar stance. And, you know, like the, the snowboarding skill is not going to translate to basketball skill. It's not, you know, skill is very specific. Um, whereas something like strength is not as specific. It's very, and, and to be clear, we're talking about maximum strength. So in the, you know, in the sports training world, we have like max strength, explosive strength, speed strength, all these different strength, you know, reactive strength um, terms that people use. I'm, I'm talking specifically about um yeah, maximum strength or even like, you know, structural strength, I would say like hypertrophy. This is not, this is largely a general quality where if I get stronger in a squat, it's going to make me stronger in a lot of different ways, not just in the squat. Um, and that's the case for, you know, for a lot of lifts. Like if I get better at deadlifting a barbell, I'm probably going to get also better at like throwing a medicine ball up in the air. You know, there's a lot of transfer there because strength is more of a general quality and understanding that is, you know, one of those, one of those key things that I, I try to get help people with uh, for, you know, for getting a grasp on training. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you could talk about elasticity, you could talk about explosiveness, uh, you talk about coordination, you know, there, there's all these different physical qualities and, yeah, I get, like one of the other things that I try to push is you want to do things that directly target those qualities and, you know, find the things that are best for that and do them. Um, don't do the fancy nonsense stuff, you know, and don't try to combine everything like, oh, this is a uh, combo lower body, upper body strength slash balance exercise. Like, no, that's a trap. It's trash is what it is. You're not actually developing anything because you're taking away from the stimulus that could, you know, could develop something. Um, yeah, so those are some of the principles. I, I, and then I guess resting is another one of the big principles that I try to push, which I've already talked about. Um, so before I rant too much, I'm just going to shut that down right there. <laughs> No, I, I think you made a great point about sprinting and, uh, you know, I think communicating to athletes um, is, is kind of where we can sneak in extra sprint work. Um, and, and one thing that I'll do is if I want to run 10 20s, I'm going to come up with four different start variations that we're going to do. And yeah. they didn't realize they just ran 10 really intentional sprints. Uh, they thought they did four different drills two times. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's like the athletes that we see 
right? We kind of got to meet them where they're at because we can't just tell them, hey, I need you to run maximum intent. We're going to run 10, 20 yard sprints. Um, They'll be like, oh man. But if you're like, (laughs) hey, jump off this box and then sprint 20 yards. They'll be like, Mm -hmm. okay, sweet. I'll do that. Um, How are you able to do that with an online you know, training program, because you don't get that one-to-one interaction. How do you build that culture with your online platform that, you know, obviously you've done so well with it. Um, most of our athletes got excited, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, nice man. Jump science. Yeah. We follow. Yeah. That. Right. Um, well, I would say in the, in the jumping realm, you know, dunking is like, that's the, that's the fun thing. And that's how you mask the work is you don't think about oh man i have to jump 40 times like no dude you're trying to dunk like this is fun um i would say i haven't i haven't really tried to implement with sprinting masking the work like in the jump science program it's like you know okay five 40 meter sprints you know it's just in there um it's definitely something I intend to do in the speed science program, which will eventually be made. Nice. Um, yeah, I actually just, so I have some, I have some people that I do individualized programming for. And uh, there's one guy in particular who his start is not very fast compared to the rest of his race. He's a, a hundred meter sprinter. <clears throat> and, uh, and I actually put fun sprints in this program lately or what I call fun sprints. And it's either, you have to either race somebody or you have to be chasing a ball. And, uh, and so me and Tim actually filmed some clips for the instructional video on that the other day. And a couple of them are in the, uh, the Instagram post I made. It's yeah. You're starting in a different position. Someone tosses a ball out for you. You're trying to catch it on the first bounce. So there's hopefully no thinking it's pure instinct and you're just trying to get to the ball as quickly as you can. And then it's from different, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's from the different stances, which are, you know, it's not a block start. So it's not a rehearsed position. It's a problem solving situation. Um, so, yeah, I actually love how you talk about the, yeah, mixing up the type of sprint that people do. Yes. To this point with the online stuff, I haven't implemented that well. Um which I think it's a challenging thing to implement when you're writing a program for the masses, <laughs> yeah. you know, for anyone to just pick up and do, it's like, well, you know, what is anyone going to be able to do in, in this department? Um, yeah. If you say, Hey, you need to race people then you're going to get the email. Like, Hey, what if I don't have a partner? You know, like I, I've been through that where it's like, yeah. I would like to have these things in here, but this is just going to generate a million questions for me. Um, and a million people who can't really implement, you know, like Olympic lifts in, in a weightlifting program. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I don't have the equipment. I've never done this before. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, okay. So we're just not going to use Olympic lifts in the program. Um, you know, when you're, when you're making it for the general public. Uh, so, but yeah, I guess in the, in the sprinting realm, I haven't, I haven't done that yet on, on the online stuff very well. I want to revisit something that you just talked about briefly with like throw the ball, solve a problem. And, and I immediately thought like, that's the cul-de-sac kids. That's back to the neighborhood. Yeah. That's back to having fun as a kid. And, 
Um, like I, I really hope that the kids that I get to be in front of have fun with, with their training. And, you know, I, I just like, like, cause that's what I experienced when I was growing up. That's what you experienced when you were growing up and, and you're passing that down to that, you know, next generation of like, yo, this is fun. This is supposed to be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, like what, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the fun things that you do get to do in person? Um, you know, cause like that's a different dynamic than online. And I, I can definitely see that's a, um, you know, a, a hill to climb. Uh, but like, how do you gamify some of your sprint training in person or jump training outside of just low, low rim? Um, you know, what are some of the ways you mix things up? Yeah. So w one point I want to make is you do have to consider if people play a sport, they sort of already have the fun component. So, you know, when they come to see me, I don't want to, I don't want to overdo that. You know, it's like there, there is this component of, well, yeah, we already, you know, you already played a sport a bunch this week. You already had fun. You already did instinctive things. We need to do some like targeted things. Um, but definitely, definitely uh, I do, I still try to use that. And I, I would say I use it in the kind of, the, again, it's the filling in the gaps athletically department where, okay, I have a volleyball player who only jumps off of two feet and then just like, you know, shuffles around or like lunges around the court to try to, you know, get to the ball here and there, like pretty limited set of movements. And if you take a volleyball player and you say, hey, I want you to uh, go jump off one leg and try to touch that, it's okay. I mean, it, they, they struggle a lot of times to even execute the jump, much less jump high. They, they might not even be able to do it. They'll go into it saying, I'm going to jump off one leg. They'll end up jumping off two anyway. Then they find a way to jump off one, but it still looks like their volleyball approach, like the timing of the arms and everything. And so it's, a, you know, it's not an effective jump. Um, so I'll do things like uh, just go jump over something, uh, which I, I usually, you know, for safety purposes, I'll just like hold a little, uh, like, a, like a jump rope or like a little strap out. And so if they happen to come up short and miss it, it's, you know, I have this loose grip in my fingers and it comes out and there's no, <laughs> there's no risk of injury. I have had people like just go over a hurdle before, um, you know, we have like some really light dainty hurdles that, you know, you have a hard time hurting yourself on them. Um, so jumping over stuff is definitely one. And that's where I'll say, okay, what's the jump that you suck at? <laughs> what's the jump that you've never done in your sport before? Let's do that. You know, let's, let's, yeah, like fill in that gap. Um, so yeah, jumping over stuff, definitely, if, you know, if I have the, the basketball guy who's tall can jump a little bit, you know, like dunking has historically been a thing, like, let's go try to dunk. Oh, you've never done this before. Let's try to do that. So it's, you know, and it, it's an exploratory, uh, an exploratory session doing something different than they, they're used to doing, um, and then, and, but then, yeah, you're getting work in, in the process. Um, and then, yeah, in the sprint realm, I, I mean, I do the ball chasing pretty regularly. Um, uh, we do occasionally, if we have two people working out at the same time, we'll have them race and that's good. And yeah, we'll do the race from the different positions. Um, so again, it's that problem solving instinctive thing. And yeah, you don't think about you do not think about the work you're doing if you're racing your friend, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't even occur to you. It's like you, you do, you do the 10 or the 20 yard race and then they like, they're like back on the line. They're ready to go again. You know, you don't, it's not, it's not an issue. So, 
um, yeah, I would say competing or chasing the ball are kind of my, my go-tos. I have done stuff with med balls where, you know, you have like the med ball push start or like the underhand throw start. And it's like, all right, you have to throw the med ball past the 10 yard line when it lands. You also have to touch it before it hits the ground a second time. So you're, you have to throw it far, but you're also sprinting behind it to go touch it before it hits the ground again. Um, and then also in the med ball throw department, you know, just doing that for fun where it's, you know, maybe you don't have the sprint, but it's all right, you have to throw it past this line or you have to hit that steel beam in the ceiling. Um, those are ways to, yeah, again, you're masking that work. It's just fun. And it's, yeah, it's kind of experimental. Like I'm not coaching med balls much, like the, the mechanics of it. It's more like, yo, you got to put some oomph into that thing, you know? Um <laughs> So, so yeah, those are some of the, so the, the ways I try to do that. I got to apologize. I got to mute myself every time I go to laugh, man. Cause I'm just laughing in this microphone. I, you got away with words, <laughs> Daniel, that you were like, when you, you said earlier, you're like, no, that's not jump work. That's trash is what that is. I mean, it's straight up. Just like <laughs> I was. So people got to understand. So I, I got, I got to mute this every time I go to laugh, man, you, you <laughs> crack me up, um, which I appreciate. So a little less structured with the jumping and, and the pre-weight room stuff. Are we more structured when we get into the weight room? I know you've talked a lot about, um, you know, heavy back squats and how much you love those and, and Nordics. Um, are we a little more structured for the jump training and the performance training when we get in the weight room? And if we are, what does that, what does that kind of stuff look like? Yeah, definitely, definitely more structure there. Um, because, you know, there I'm more like just ruthless, you know, it's, uh, it's a dedication to fundamentals and a dedication to training your weaknesses and then, you know, trying to build up structure, uh, particularly, you know, in, in common problem areas for that sport. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely looking at the squat for sure. Um, do uh, Again, it's depending on what else people have going on. Um, you know, I may not actually be doing squats or maybe we're Let's, you know, when I first start with somebody, let's squat with the bar to see what it looks like and see if there's any adjustments you can make. Um, so I'll do that a lot with like football guys or like lacrosse guys that um, are already lifting, but just, it's like, you just know they're not doing it well. You know, when someone comes in and tells, tells you they squat three plates, I'm like, what does that look like? This, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's like, I guess the fun does kind of go away to some degree <laughs> with the strength training. It's more like, look, you need this desperately. And so we're going to do six sets of five squats, you know, like, I'm sorry, but it's happening. Um, and then, yeah, complement the squat with either hip or knee extension focused work based on the, the hip or knee dominance of the athlete. That's definitely a thing that I look at pretty, you know, pretty consistently now. Um if you got someone who gets all bent over in their squat and their bar shifts forward. And so, you know, they're kind of taking load off their quads and using their, their glutes and back primarily, then, uh, then I'm definitely want to complement that with some knees forward, upright, uh, stuff like, yeah, either, uh, you know, a, that style of split squat or, um, a pistol squat where, you know, you can like definitely there's a lot of shifting in a pistol squat, but like it's still very quad focused. Um, or we recently have got a hack squat machine 
which uh, you, you probably saw me and Tim on that thing, mm-hmm. you know, very knees forward, quad, quad focused. Um, so yeah, I like to complement the squat with, you know, something to target that weakness. But then I also have knee dominant people, which, you know, they do upright squats naturally. Um, and, and you can see, uh, you know, you can even identify that in other ways, like, they'll get sore in their quads from squatting, whereas somebody else will get sore in their glutes or um, they'll squat more than they deadlift. And to me, like I'm a naturally hip dominant person. To me, that's just like such a bizarre thing. Like, you know, like I could, I can deadlift like 150 more pounds than I can squat, you know, it's like not even close. Um, yeah, they'll squat more than they can deadlift. They'll, they have athletic characteristics as well. You know, they'll, uh, bounce off the ground easily on one leg if they're knee dominant, but their sprint start and their broad jump when they're trying to get, you know, horizontal projection, if they're lacking hip extension, you know, that they'll be relatively poor in those things. Um, so with them, it's like, okay, we squat, but now, all right, we're also going to uh, deadlift or sumo deadlifts. We're going to try to do like a glute focused split squat. Um, we're going to go leg press and put the feet high on the plate to try to get mostly glute loading out of that. Um, maybe we're going to hip thrust even. Um, although I would say a lot of the people that struggle with this, like one of the reasons that they lack the hip extension is that they're tight in the, in the glutes and hamstrings. And so I tend to go with like full range, um, trying to make them sore, trying to stimulate, uh, sarcomerogenesis and the muscles you know what i'm talking about right oh yeah uh, <laughs> and i think this thing obviously obviously knows what that is <laughs> um yeah i'm trying to make those muscles longer with the strength training so then i yeah i tend to go for those full range things versus a hip thrust um but uh yeah and then i pretty consistently let's do some calf work let's do some hip flexor work let's do some uh medial shin stuff to try to prevent shin splints um let's get a little adductor in there you know trying to yeah cover all those bases structurally so that we can uh try to stay healthy you know as well as possible because yeah a lot of these kids man they're just going through a lot of stuff and i'm just like your poor your poor muscles and connective tissue you know like (laughs) what can we do to uh help you survive what's going on right now now, as a, as a young coach, um, you know, hearing these concepts, that's a, a really good thing for a young coach to start paying attention to. And you've been in the game for, you know, eight, eight plus years, maybe, you know, including your time in college, like over 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. You intuitively can see an athlete walk into your gym for the first time and kind of identify that athlete as he's probably going to be quad dominant. He's probably going to be hip dominant as, as talking to a young coach, what are, what are those eyeline sites that, that you built that intuition on that you can kind of see, you know, through their movements? So, I mean, I would say the, the easy one to spot is the style of the squat um, or even the style of the split squat. If somebody doesn't like to move their shins forward they like to stay closer to vertical and then they like to bend their torso over more than, in fact, you can even look at shin angle, torso angle, right? Like if those things are parallel, they're probably pretty well balanced or even maybe a little bit knee dominant. If they're 
shins vertical, torso bent over, they're weak at the knee. That's pretty reliable uh, identification right there. You do have to consider the ankle mobility when it comes to the squat. Um, I'm always doing heels elevated squats. So I kind of take that out of the picture. But yeah, you do have to consider that. I mean, if someone's on flat ground, like there's there, maybe their knees don't go forward because they just don't have the mobility. It might not be a quad strength thing. Oh, um, and we and we've seen it too yeah. with even even elevating an athlete's heels, and they still fight as hard as they can to keep those shins vertical. Um, yeah. So like yeah, those, exactly. those pattern, like they'll fight to try and stay vertical, even though you're giving them an environment that will let them access a different range of motion, a different muscle group. So yeah. um, I think like coaching through that, Tim Riley really helped um, give us a couple uh, tips and tricks to help athletes get get to a better depth in, in those. Um, yeah. But you know, those are those are really good things uh, to to look out for. Yeah, I remember uh, I posted something years ago about the bar shifting forward in a squat and I was talking about how that'll happen in a front squat um even though you know it's supposed to be an upright lift but most people don't execute it that way and uh and at some point I had a video in there of somebody trying to do a squat uh, with the heels elevated like significantly elevated like slant board elevated and uh and the bar shifting you know the the bar still shifted forward the sh the knees still came back and uh and i use that as an example because i yeah at one point i got this criticism <laughs> of heels elevated squatting and i showed some people that were good at staying upright they were like naturally strong in the quads and then someone was like well of course when you elevate their heels that you're gonna force their knees forward and i was like nope nope <laughs> if you <laughs> If you got weak quads, your knees are going to stay back anyway. It don't matter how high your uh, your heels get, because it's it's about torque. You know, you, like it's it's physics. It's non-negotiable. You can't you can't just force the knees forward. Um, and, and yeah, that doesn't that doesn't change the torque requirements at the joint. So anyway, <laughs> and and for people listening, instead of watching the YouTube, you know, we were kind of talking about the squat position. If you want to think about the torso as like a pitcher of water. Um, and, and athletes that are going to be a little bit more hip dominant are dumping that pitcher of water out on the uh, ascent of a squat to give you guys a little visual um, yeah. of what we were just explaining and talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. I also, yeah, I was just going to say, I also have content on this guys. So <laughs> YouTube, Instagram, you can, you can see the videos. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna tag all those on the uh, on the post too. So if you're listening to this, just go to the show notes and, and you'll be able to find those. A lot of good content. Um, again, I, I I've been watching it for weeks now and still haven't gotten <laughs> through everything. So there's plenty of info out there. Um, how are we able to connect kind of what we do in the weight room and what we do to benefit our jumps to also benefit our speed? There's a lot of a lot of carry over there. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Big question. Or too much um, carryover. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, you know, as far as the weight room, like translating to sprinting, it, it, I would say it's pretty similar, you know, like you're trying to do largely the same things. Um, it's, you know, you're trying to increase your strength relative to body weight. And, um, and then you're hoping that translates to something faster than strength training um definitely sprinting is farther away from lifting than let's say like a two-foot jump particularly a two like a standing vertical 
Um, so, you know, the, the distance between those things in terms of adaptations, in terms of, yeah, contraction, velocity, contact time, all these things, it, it is a bigger gap. Um, so there might be, you know, if there is a, if there is a process of translating it, it might be longer, um, you know, a, a longer period away from strength training. If you, if you are having to go through something like that, um, it's going to be a little bit more sensitive to fatigue as well. I think that the max velocity is versus like two foot jumping. Um, so you have to keep that in mind. But, but yeah, I would say it's still about like generating, you know, you're trying to develop muscle power with your strength training for sprinting and for jumping. Um, jumping is going to be more reliant on that muscle power though. So, you know, if I'm, yeah, like myself as a two foot jumper, for me, strength is very connected with my jump performance. Um, I don't have a whole lot of disconnect there. So my, you know, my squat goes up, my, my jump goes up. Like it's pretty, it's pretty direct. And, uh, and I think, you know, you'll see pretty consistently with jumpers, like the, the stronger, you know, among the talented jumpers, the stronger they get, the higher they tend to jump. You know, there, there's a pretty good connection there. Um, sprinting has this other component and it's not that jumping doesn't have it, but again, it's just bigger with sprinting of elasticity. And elasticity, you know, uh, people tend to think about like stretching with elasticity, but when it comes to a physical quality, we're, we're actually talking about like the opposite of stretching. Like we're talking about like leg stiffness when you hit the ground. And uh, so the, the term elasticity is more about like an elastic collision in physics, you know, where you have a, a uh, what is the word? A, restitution of kinetic energy <laughs> a high restitution of kinetic energy meaning like if you drop a, a bouncy ball at the ground it comes back with almost the same kinetic energy right whereas if you drop a baseball it barely bounces up off the ground you know um so it's basically that concept applied to a foot contact in sprinting um and that's a really big contributor to sprinting and it's you know maybe I don't know, maybe it's a 20% contributor to jumping, but it's a 50% contributor to sprint, you know, something like that, where it's, it's a larger, uh, a larger factor. So that's where you have, you know, you're more likely to get somebody who's not that strong and great at sprinting than you are, who's not that strong and great at jumping because they might have, the sprinter might have elastic talent and that allows them once they get moving they're relying on that a lot and that allows them to have a high max velocity um, in spite of maybe not being exceptional in other areas. So like the, um, the fastest guy I've ever worked with, the fastest in terms of track, um, he ran, I think his best race was a 2160 indoor 200. Although he has a season coming up right now, but um, indoor 2160, which is faster than the vast majority of athletes. I mean, basketball, football, you know, soccer, like all these sports, very few people, um, very few people are running faster than maybe a 23 in the 200 in those sports, you know, like he, he's way faster than most of those type of athletes. He had about an eight foot broad jump, 
you know, like super average in that department. Um, maybe a maybe like 20, 26, 27 standing vert, something like that. Um, so in terms of muscle power, he was pretty average, but he had some bounce in his step, you know, where he just effortlessly popping off the ground when he would sprint. And he was one of those like real chill sprinters too, where it's just, you know, he just, he looks like he's barely even trying. Um, so yeah, that's, that quality is a much bigger contributor to sprinting. And that's, you're going to get then more, yeah, more variety in, in the, um, like the, the other characteristics between, you know, good sprinters, uh, because yeah, cause you might have people who are great broad jumpers and great sprinters. Um, and you might have people who are very average broad jumpers and, you know, and, and still great sprinters. Um, and those are the ones that tend to be less of a fast starter, but really great at top speed, um, are the ones that are like, yeah, they're specifically good at top speed because they're specifically have that elastic talent, whereas they may not be spectacular in terms of that, that muscular power. Um, am I getting off track here? Is that? No, no, no I'm making a ton of mental notes. So I'm thinking yeah. too, that I have, I'm going to listen <laughs> to this like four more times. No, it's, yeah. All dude, all great stuff. Is that something we can teach that relationship with the ground, that innate <sighs> turnover ability? I don't know about teach. I mean, I guess certainly like in the, you could, you could explain the concept and maybe in like, a, let's say like a two foot bouncing, like a RSI test, you know, somebody could be bending their knees more and spending more time on the ground and you could teach them like, Hey, we, we want, you know, we want to pop faster. Like don't bend your knees as much, be stiffer. So in that sense, you could teach the concept, um, I think the unfortunate, uncomfortable reality when it comes to sprinting is it's very hard to develop that quality in people that don't have it, to teach it or develop it. Um, yeah, you definitely can't just like coach somebody into it. I think there is, I mean, you can coach their foot contact the way they touch the ground, right? So if someone comes in there a natural like, heel striker or kind of like flat foot produce you'd be like okay we want to actually touch down with you know the outside edge towards the ball the foot area and, and you could you could teach that foot contact and then that will help them develop some of this elasticity while they're running over time um but yeah i mean like when you teach the foot contact they probably aren't going to immediately get faster but it's okay we need to touch the ground like that five million times over the course of the next few years <laughs> and then you'll be faster right um and, and so like for me i start i start out that with shoeless warm-ups on the turf so we're doing you know whether you're jogging or doing low level plyos or doing a speed drill or something if you're shoeless you're gonna be touching down the ball of the foot uh first you know, you, you may still put your whole foot on the ground, depending on the exercise, but it's going to touch down ball the foot first. So you're going to load, you're going to load those structures in your lower leg that we're trying to, you know, develop that elasticity in. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I really think it is a physical thing you have to develop and it's not so much taught. Um, you just, yeah, you create the stimulus to develop it and then you just do it for 
you know, a, a lot of foot contacts over the course of years. And that's how you develop it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's not so much a technique. I know people like speed technique, sprint technique, people love to think like, you know, yeah, just have a stiff leg, use the technique. We'll do some stiff leg bounds and that'll, that'll just make you faster. Um, you know, may, maybe there's cases where people like sort of grasp it in a way and then, oh yeah, I just have to get off the ground fast. And then they like immediately get faster. But it's, you know, I'd say that's a rare scenario. It's more of, well, their leg's not stiff because their leg's not stiff. Like they don't, they don't possess the things required to do that. Um, and yeah, the development of it, obviously it's possible to some degree. Um, you know, people go have a track season and they get faster. And it, and it may not be because they got a bunch stronger in the weight room or, or, you know, develop some other physical quality a bunch. Maybe it's, you know, cause you even see it in like middle distance people. Uh, maybe it's because they ran a lot, you know, they ran 25 miles a week in the early part of the season um, along with some maybe 400 repeat conditioning, 200 repeat conditioning. And then they like competed in the 800 and the mile. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of other training going on, maybe a little bit of lifting or something, but you know, they probably weren't changing themselves a lot in that. But at the end of all that process, like their 200 meter is way faster. You know, it's not just that they got endurance, like they actually developed speed from all that running. It's because they bounced off the ground a million times. Um, and, and on that point, as far as it being hard to teach, hard to develop, if we look at the ground reaction force in sprinting, the, 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 uh, the elites, the high level sprinters, you know, like the, uh, let's just say 10 and a half meters per second or faster, you know, up to 12, those people separate themselves in that, that force curve within about 0.03 seconds. That's where they make the difference. You know, you have this, this little hill and theirs is just shifted so that they have a spike at the beginning of the hill. <laughs> um, the backside of the hill is actually almost like it's identical to like a nine meters per second runner. Um, yeah, I would look into like all of Ken Clark's research for that for that, uh, to see those pictures of those force curves. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, I don't know if we can teach, be, be more forceful in the first three one hundredths of a second when you touch the ground, you know, I, <laughs> I don't think that's so much teaching as it is gradually developing over time. It's kind of like providing environments for athletes to find efficiency in their sprint mechanics that are their own. Um, yes. And I think that's some of the benefit from those longer middle distance sprints um, versus like sometimes what we're as strength coaches in love with is just 20s, 40s and 30s. Right. If you're a middle school athlete, like that might not give you enough time to find an efficient, repeatable pattern that you can rely on later when you are running longer distances. Exactly. And it's and it's also just like not it's just the workload isn't there, you yeah. know, like flying tens good for your training your nervous system to like go all out um but very limited in terms of building that effortless bounce off the ground because yeah a, a flying 10 you i mean you, 
it's like five foot contacts at max velocity, right? Um, whereas running six 150s at 90%, it may not be max velocity, but now it's, uh, you know, now it's 500 foot contacts at 90%. And that, you know, over the course of time, that's really more, that, that's a more effective stimulus to develop that elasticity than flying tens is. So yeah, yeah, like you said, in the performance training world, like we love only full speed sprints, short distance, right? Because we don't, we hate conditioning, and we're not trying to be endurance athletes and all this stuff. Um, meanwhile, the track world is developing much faster athletes. This, you know, this whole time, and even, I mean, if if you want to look at a like a good, let's say like a good high school level, it, there's a good high school 800 runner versus a good linebacker. Like the 800 runner is going to dominate a 200. Maybe it might even dominate a 100, depending on how talented that linebacker is. You know, uh, he might not dominate the first 10 meters, but after that, he, you know, a, a good 800 runner is actually fast. That, you know, and, and, it, and it's effortless. So uh, yeah, you know, I think we got to find a balance there between training muscle power and training short, fast sprints and also utilizing volume to build that elasticity and yeah. And that efficiency hundred percent. Yeah. You got, yeah. People who only run 30 yards, like they don't need any efficiency. <laughs> there's no, there's no development of that there. So um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we got to find the balance between those things and understand also which athletes are going to respond better to different types of things. Um, yeah, I know there's theories about like fast twitch dominant athletes and low training volumes and, and all these things. And uh, that's, I'd say, definitely an area of still uh, that we still need to learn a lot more in. in. I think soccer is a good example of like that hybrid. Sure. Because um, they do have those short bursts, but they also are running forever, which is why I never played it. <laughs> right yeah and they do tons of conditioning right um you know but they're throughout still fast. The whole, throughout their career they yeah. do tons of conditioning and you know but then like the good ones are still fast in the end yeah. um their problem is is sprint mechanics because they run with the low feet because they're used to having a ball yep um and so then yeah they they need to learn to get away from the ball and just hit the track yeah whole different oh. thing <laughs> yeah why oh my gosh why would they ever do that um <laughs> You know, so much, so much great information there. Like I couldn't even keep up with, with taking my notes. Um, so thank you for, for sharing all that. I do, I do want to kind of transition to some, um, some questions that need less kind of thought for you, okay. um, kind of as we, as we make our way out of here and, and there's not a ton of continuity with these questions, just by the way, um, just to okay. kind of wrap up some, some loose ends and, and want to hear some of your answers here. So, um, you mentioned 34 years old. You mentioned you were, you really wanted to dunk at 13, was able to dunk at 14. And I, re I remember specifically in my mind going through that same process. Who were some of your favorite dunkers growing up that you were watching and you were trying to emulate? The air up there, Mr. 720. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He did that. Yeah, I think he was he, what he, uh, VHS tapes or was he on? Did you see him on, on YouTube? I think like, that was YouTube. I, I discovered him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, the and one mixtape tour. 
Yeah, he did an in-game 720, and I was like, man, that is goals for real. Um, yeah, him and then uh, the the early Team Flight Brothers. Oh, yeah. There was uh, T-Dub, the 5'9 dude who could, you know, get his head at the rim. Um Justin Darlington, he's been around for a while. He was like a, he was a high jumper and then turned into a, turned into a dunker. And he, I think he was like six, three, but probably like 48 inch approach vertical. So like head above the rim. I mean, yeah, he did a, he did a back handspring into an East Bay dunk. <laughs> oh, so he had the ball sitting on the ground, like in the paint. I guess I get more like a round off. I don't know my gymnastic skills, but okay, sure, sure. So he like r- runs in, does a yeah. I guess like a, a round off. So like a cartwheel where you end up facing backwards at the end, and then off of that two foot plant at the end of that. And now he has the ball in his hands because he did you know he did the handspring right over the ball. He grabbed it on the way out. So he has the two foot landing on the on the end of that, and then jumps high enough off that two foot bounce to do a 180, first of all, turn around and face the rim, but also go under the legs and dunk. He did this in a dunk contest. <laughs> not like not like he's in a gym and he gets 50 yeah. attempts at it. He did it in a dunk contest. Um, yeah, there's a guy, Troy McCray, I remember the name. He was another dude, he was like 5'9". He did a standing East Bay from underneath the rim um Kenny any of the Dobbs. mainstream guys any like um you know because like steve france like alan iverson was my guy growing up so just the fact that he could dunk at 510 was the reason i wanted to do it but then like steve francis um i watched like, yeah obviously like vince carter tracy mcgrady when they were doing this any yeah any of them, any i mean mainstream vince guys? carter for sure yeah vince, the vince carter windmill man that's <laughs> i think he's inspired a whole i mean probably decade at least of dunkers. I mean, oh, you know, there's easily. a whole yes. generation of athletes now who are dunking because of because of what Vince Carter was able to do. Yes, I mean, when the elbow dunk, like, I mean, that's that's iconic and is like echoing through decades of social media right now. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know how you even think to do that, but he, yeah, he was the one who. I, I he probably wasn't the first, but he was the one who made it you know, did it in the dunk contest, the NBA dunk contest. And he talked um, about how, how it yeah. didn't, it didn't get a ton of love, like the, when he did it live and then people watched it on the replay thought, Oh yeah. shoot, this dude got a well, whole arm above the rim to be able to put Yeah. It you in. don't know what you're looking at when it first right. happens. <laughs> it's just like, uh, confusion. Yep. Oh, sick. And also for people who, who don't know the and one mixtape tour, you would, you would go to what, what was gap when we were growing up is like for is now like dick sporting goods but you would buy these basketball shorts that were way too expensive like 40 or 50 bucks you beg your way oversized way oversized yep which was era appropriate though (laughs) yeah which was which is perfect for that for that time and then you would you would buy these shorts and then they would give you these vhs tapes and you would go home and watch hours of just like pick up basketball and and where they had these iconic players who I mean you know now again people already still know about these people but it's just something that doesn't happen anymore you know now yeah. you just find find stuff on YouTube and but we had to go out and buy these shorts and you had to wear the shorts and buy the shoes um, 
Man, so that's that that's great stuff. Um, okay, in kind of pursuit of continuing to be a good athlete, you know, in, into our 30s and 40s, what what are three things um, in the weight room or outside of the weight room that you're going to try to do to continue to um, chase your athletic pursuits? And they can be like specific exercises or they can be activities. Um, so first thing that comes to mind is just I'm going to continue to sprint. Um, and sprint, you know, sprint fast, not, not, uh, not running miles out here. Um, so yeah, continuing to sprint and then continuing to dunk. <laughs> I mean, those are, those are the big ones for me, mm -hmm. um, athletically, but then the challenge is, okay, you got to do those things and stay healthy. And that's, way harder in my 30s than in my teens um and so i'm trying to think what's what are my priorities in that department i would say for me i don't have hamstring injuries now i have in the past but definitely that's something that for sprinting a lot of people need to think okay maybe i should strength train my hamstrings first and then add in sprinting later you know and and take a gradual approach um for me i would say i guess my knees are a little more at risk now that i mean i'm coming up on my 20 year anniversary of dunking next month so Ooh. and i've you know since Powerful. i was since i was yeah 16 i've weighed at least 200 pounds so that, you know, that takes a toll. Um, so I would just say like, you're continuing to strength train the quads um, in various ways is a big one for me. Um, yeah, deep, deep upright squats, pistol squats, hack squats, you know, continue to do those things. Um, yeah, those would be my three big ones. But yeah, your, your big ones might be something else for those. Those listening. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, and that's, that's why we asked. So it's, it's, it's sprint fast, jump, dunk, quad dominant squats. Excellent. Yes. Checking the box. Yep. Um, high carb diet. Still your thing. Mm. Yeah. So <sighs> what's the evolution here? So, <laughs> you know, there's a, a lot of research about protein now and how it, helps us stay lean, especially like if you're cutting because it helps you maintain muscle in, in conjunction with strength training. So at some point I jumped on that and it was like, oh, well, I need to make sure I'm getting 200 plus grams of protein a day here. Um, I think in the process, I was ignoring fat calories and uh, never, never dramatically like got overweight, but you know, somehow crept up to 235 a couple times. And, uh, and that definitely had a negative impact on me athletically. And so that's like, all right, well, so just got to cut down some calories. Well, if you're doing high protein and you're cutting calories, um, you know, the fat tends to come with the protein, like a lot of meats or the way meats are prepared tends to come with a lot of fat or, you know, a good amount of fat. So, uh, I would end up in a place where I had, you know, maybe like equal fat and carbs and 
performance wise doing that i'm just awful i need i need carbs it's just and maybe it's because i was raised on them or or what i mean maybe there's something unique about me but if i don't have a lot of carbs i suck athletically i'm weak um so i had to go to high carb low fat and that allows me so i i, I was 235 like maybe in like October, somewhere around there. No, not that recently, maybe like September. Yeah, September probably. Um, and and it's what, January? So yeah, I, I've lost 15 pounds. I'm down to 220, um, but I've actually gotten a little bit stronger over that time, doing high carb. Um, so yeah, for me, that seems to be the formula to be able to manage body weight but still perform well. Um, yeah, although holidays and birthday and dating. Oh, dating is the worst. <laughs> anyway, so it's throwing me off a little bit recently. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the high carb works for me as far as good, good energy for the workouts and good uh, adaptation to the workouts. If I'm, yeah, if I'm low carb, then I just, I, my performance is bad. Um, I think research wise, carb to fat protein or carb to fat ratio doesn't seem to matter for like uh, weight loss quality or body fat and stuff like that. But for me personally, yeah, just strength and performance are just garbage if I don't have a lot of carbs. So that's how I ended up there. And that's why people got to try things, right? Stop like yeah. looking on for the, for the easy answer on, on YouTube or stop, you know, trying to go to the magazine and, and see what your favorite celebrity is doing. Like, <laughs> Try things out, see how you perform, go back mm -hmm. and forth, go on a couple dates and then go back and, you know what <laughs> I mean? And then go back and try other things. Um, James, that's what we'll name the, uh, this episode, Daniel Bach, like, geez, dating. Carbs and dating. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll figure that out. All right. Uh, last one here. And we, you really did a great job. And I was thinking of when you were saying, um, explaining the whole, um, balance kind of conversation we had uh, just a few minutes ago we always wrap up with what are you, what are we missing in the strength and conditioning industry and, and i wanted to ask you specifically what are we missing in the in the jump you know it is it regarding jumping in the strength and conditioning industry but you've really answered this question to me probably four or five times but to kind of <laughs> okay. wrap everything up is there something that you think um, if we take as coaches or, or the athletes and we start doing today, there are things that can benefit us in the, in the long run. Um, so the, the thing that I, I comes to mind is we all know that we can develop strength relative to body weight and get, you know, some type of result athletically, Right. For, you know, for some people, you know, you're talented athletes, you're going to get dramatic changes across the board, they're going to jump higher, sprint faster, you know, all these things, and it's going to be really easy, it's going to make for great testimonials about your training. Um, other athletes are maybe going to at least, you know, like, okay, we'll get a broad jump record in there, we'll, our weighted jumps maybe on the, on the jump mat will go up. Um, problem, you know, maybe because we're more athletic, maybe because we're just manipulating our center of mass more, 
on the jump mat either way you know it makes for good social media posts whatever whatever um so you know we we know we can get some type of result from doing that my question is what other things can we do like what other problems can we solve besides oh this person's not strong enough what if we have someone who's a double body weight squatter and has a 26 inch standing vertical you know is getting stronger the answer there? I don't think it is. I think you're way disproportionately developed in one, in, in the strength area and not the athletic area. And you need to find a way to raise this up, raise the other side of the spectrum up. And basically finding ways to do that is, is I think what we're missing. Or it's, it's the, the, the place we need to keep trying to learn and keep trying to explore because yeah, you know, I want to be able to take somebody who's not that talented and then, yeah, let's get them a double bodyweight squat. But along the way, let's get a 45-inch vertical, you know? And right now, I think if we take that person who's not that talented give them a bodyweight squat, maybe they have a 33-inch vertical. You know, it's still, they're still not that great, even though they get really strong. And so it's how, how can we take that person and try to make them more like the talented person? Um, and so this is, it's a big thing I've talked about a lot. It, it's the, let's go run track. Let's get that elastic volume because so many people are lacking this quality. It's the, let's use rest because rest levels, levels us uh, up explosively. When, I mean, when you get fresh, you get, things get faster, you get more explosive. Um, let's in some cases get away from strength training, you know, let's stop pulling the body in every direction and just pull it in one direction and let it shift, shift explosive. Um, and so what the, I think the phrase I've used for that is get as athletic as you can at your current strength level. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've, seen some successes in this department in in the jump science programs i have uh levels three and five are very not strength focused and you get classified into those levels by having somebody who is um you know more so strong so it's you know it's strength versus body weight is one of the tests and then just your your vertical divided by your height is one of the tests and if those things are disproportionately developed, you go into one of these levels and I've had some people who are, yeah, you know, they go into level five and it's like, I gained five inches in my first couple months. I'm barely lifting weights, you know? I'm doing like two sets of RDLs and a couple sets of calf raises per week, you know, for like hamstring and uh, Achilles. And I'm otherwise just like not lifting and I'm getting spectacular results, you know? So I've seen that happen. So I've had some success in that, in that area. But it's still, what more? How, how can we be even better? Can I take myself being a, you know, a, a heavy two-foot jumper and having a jump training background, how do I level myself up on the track? You know, um, it's probably not squatting. Well, unless I am under eating and getting weak, then maybe the squatting, you know, <laughs> returning to, but, you know, somebody who hasn't developed it through childhood can we now develop it later can you know can you can you change the athletic side of the spectrum and not just 
get everyone stronger and, you know, sort of where their talents are, that's where they'll, where they'll get better. And if they don't have the talents, they won't really get better, you know, but we can still post that broad jump, you know? Um, yeah. What can we do on the athletic side of the spectrum to make less talented people more like talented people? That's kind of my, that's the pursuit. Awesome, dude. People, people want the jump science program. People are sick of watching all of the clickbait material on social media and want to follow somebody with some substance. Um, you know, people want a YouTube channel to subscribe to, to get plenty of really good information. Where can people find you on all those platforms? Uh, so jump.science on Instagram, uh, jump.science, just type it into a web browser. Okay. Dot, dot science instead of com. It's just jump.science in a web browser. Um, and then it's, I'm, I'm jump science on YouTube as well. I think you just type in the phrase jump science. It'll pop up. Um, yeah, those are your three places. I'm not getting on TikTok. I refuse. Yeah. Look, yeah. Keep don't, fighting don't the good do fight. It. Don't do it. <clears throat> keep fighting the good fight. Either. We're not going there. Daniel Bach, dude, thanks so much for being on Cutoffs and Coffee, episode 29. Thanks for wearing the cutoff. Thanks for dropping so much knowledge. Again, this, like I already mentioned, I took a ton of notes. I got to go back through and, and watch it three or four more times to, to be able to hear all the information and be able to digest all the information um, that you've given us. So thank you so much for your time, man. Everybody listening, continue to practice gratitude. Tell the people you love that you love them and live your life stimulated. Episode 29, Daniel Bach in the books. See y'all next time. <laughs>